Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our service times, visit okoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram at okoegt. Now let's prepare our hearts as we go into the message. Today we conclude our sermon series in the book of Proverbs, a proverb a day. You've heard the saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. A proverb a day keeps the devil away. I love the practical advice in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And and I really enjoyed doing a sermon series last year in the book of Ecclesiastes. And then the Lord led me to do just a three-part series here in the book of Proverbs. Because it's just practical teaching for everyday life. And there are three things we want to look at. And as you see the title today, or the subtitle, is A Plan for Winning. And I think these three things are so necessary if you're going to win in life. And I need you to hear this. God wants you to win. (laughs) God wants you to win. In the grand scheme of things, you're already a winner in the name of Christ. We're victorious. We've read the end of the book. We know we know the, the end result. We know the, the blessings of the Lord. God wants you to win in your family. God wants you to win in your job. God wants you to win in other relationships. And he wants you to win over the obstacles that come your way on a day-to-day basis. So the first thing I want to talk about, write this, write this, attitude matters. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, your attitude, you got to watch it. Amen. Your attitude matters. Proverbs 17, Proverbs 17, verse 22. You'll see it in your notes, the New Living Translation. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Good medicine. It's a medicine you need to take every day. But a broken spirit saps a person's strength. So what is good medicine? A cheerful heart. It actually has benefits to your health, physical health, to your mental, emotional health, and to your spiritual health. Laugh a little. Have a good time. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. Research shows That people who have positive attitudes are healthier. There are medical journals saying as much. Just take a look at the people in your life. Those with a positive attitude generally live longer, but they definitely live better lives. They enjoy the ride. They enjoy the journey. You'll notice something about positive people. They focus on taking care of themselves, and they stay involved in all sorts of activities. In short, positive people, people with the right attitude, they, they have a purpose. How many know you need to have a purpose to get up every morning, a purpose to your life? And the key to quality of life is having variety and purpose. Having a positive attitude makes people more inclined to seek out a better life. You'll find yourself making wiser decisions. Let me read this out of the message paraphrase. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Now back up a couple chapters to chapter 15 and look at verse 13. 
A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. Verse 15 of chapter 15 says, For the despondent every day brings trouble, but for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. You ever notice when, you're, when your attitude is bad and your attitude is wrong that, that, that things just don't work out and, and, and it go, you go from one, one tough situation to the next tough situation? But, but, but whenever you choose to have the right attitude and you begin to have a cheerful heart, things in your life begin to blossom. Things in your life begin to happen. And notice what he says. Every day is a continual feast. Now, it doesn't mean everything that happens to you is going to be good, but it means you're learning to see the good. You're learning to evaluate and appreciate the positive in your life. You begin to see the goodness of God around you. Write the word joy. Joy is important to your life. Now, the book of Nehemiah is a book of rebuilding. It's a book of reconstruction. And, and Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer, and he leads the exiles back to Jerusalem to rebuild. A report has come, come back to him that the city is, is laying in, in ruin and the walls have not been built. And a burden comes upon Nehemiah. So he gets permission to go back to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And they completed the rebuilding of the walls in like 53 or 56 days. It was, it was amazing what God did through the leadership of Nehemiah. And chapter 8 verse 10 is a very powerful verse. And I think it's a secret to a large part of his success. Nehemiah continued. Go and celebrate with the with feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our God. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice the connection between the joy of the Lord and the strength that comes from him. See, a merry heart, a joyful heart, a happy heart actually will impart strength to you. But a broken spirit, the message describes it as gloom and doom, will leave you bone tired. Write this under C, choose the right attitude. Now, I think there's three simple things that you can do you got to adopt a growth mindset. Adopt a growth mindset. A mindset that, hey, I'm going to be better. I'm going to grow. I'm going I'm to learn in this situation. I'm going I'm, I'm to be better when I get to the other side of what I'm walking through. Have a growth mindset. Surround yourself. Secondly, surround yourself with positive people. You need people that see the bright things of life. You need people in your life that's going to speak good things to you. You need to see, be around happy people. Listen, if you're having a challenge having the right attitude, and then you surround yourself with other people with bad attitudes, it's just going to keep you down. It's going to keep you, it's going to suck the life out of you. But if you'll surround yourself with people of faith, people who have the joy of the Lord, people who see the good things, people who have the right attitude, before long, it's going to overflow in your life. Surround yourself with positive people and then tame your inner critic. Tame your inner critic. We all, we all have an inner critic. And sometimes what happens is we allow that inner critic to get a little too loud. Challenge, don't, 
Don't just accept what the inner critic says, that inner voice. Challenge that inner voice because remember, you're being transformed. You're being changed into the image of Christ. That old broken nature is going to try to come back against you. And that, that inner voice sometimes gets critical. Challenge it with the truth of God's word. Can you say amen? amen. So you want to win? You got to have the right attitude. Secondly, let's, let, let's read the proverb first. Proverbs 22, verse 13. Proverbs 22, verse 13. I love this one. The lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. <laughs> Write this. Excuses never win. Excuses. I can't go outside. There may be a lion and, and the lion may get me. I can't go outside because I might get more. I can't go out. I, I can't try this. I can't move. I can't grow. I can't. And, and, and there's the I can't. There's the excuse. And, and how many know that excuses will keep you from moving forward? Excuses will keep you from doing something new. Excuse, excuses will keep you from growing in your faith. Excuses will cause you to be stagnant. In your relationship. Let me read this out of the NIV. It puts it kind of like in two different statements. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside or I will be murdered in the streets. See, see, excuses will trap you in the snare of inactivity. As a bird caught in a cage, so the one given to excuses is trapped and imprisoned. We become a product of our mindset when we make excuses. Excuses never win. The old English puts it this way. The slothful man, which is a favorite subject of Solomon, the slothful, the lazy man says, there's a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. Now what makes this excuse so outrageous is, Lions were not known for being in the streets of the cities of Palestine. And one given to excuses sees the most extreme situations as possible realities and allows the fear to imprison them. And let me tell you what, what, what it will also do is it will create something out of nothing. That really isn't a reality and this is an extreme, a hyperbole that Solomon is bringing out. Yes, at this time, there were lions to be known in Palestine, but they were more in the thickest, the, the wilderness, never in the city streets. But notice how absurd the person given to excuse is. Well, there just might be a lion in the streets. And if I go into the street, then I might be killed. Let me tell you what excuses will do. Excuses will keep you trapped. Write that word trapped. Excuses will keep you trapped. But not only will excuses keep you trapped, excuses will paralyze you. That's another word to write. It will paralyze you. I can't do this or I can't do that because a lion may eat me or I might be murdered. Jesus gave us this example. Matthew records it in the 25th chapter, 25th chapter of his gospel. 
And it's here that he is showing what the kingdom of heaven is like, what is likened unto. And the story is this, that a, a man who has a lot of money, he has servants, and he's going on a long trip. So he decides to leave some bags of money, silver, with his servants, expecting a return on his investment when he comes back. So to one, he gives five bags of silver. To another, he gives two bags of silver. And then to another, he gives one bags, one bag of silver. And then he leads on a trip. We don't know how long he's gone, but he will return one day. And in Matthew 25, 18, it says this, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, it came a time for the man to return. And in verse 19 tells us that after a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they used his money. Now, 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 Jesus used this as an analogy to say what the kingdom of heaven is like. There is the master who has given resources, and then there's going to become a day of reckoning, accountability. One day, church, we will give an account with what we have received. One, one may have five bags. One may have two. One may have one. But whatever God has given you, Use it well. Don't allow the excuses of your life to cause fear and to paralyze you. So the master comes back. He gives an account. He's asking. The man with five doubled it, and the man rejoices. He says, thank you. You did well. Enter, enter into uh, the house, the kingdom. And then the next one with two bags of silver. He did the same. He invested it and doubled, uh, doubled it. But then he came to the one who had one bag of silver. And he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant or gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Now notice he calls him a lazy servant. Solomon says the slothful says there might be a lion in the street, so I can't go out there. Notice what the slothful, knows what the one who doesn't have uh, self-control, the one who doesn't have ambition, the one who's given to excuses, always sees the worst scenario and it paralyzes them from doing what God wants them to do. The message puts it this way. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, to the very last cent. Write this under C. Take the butt out. B-U-T. Some of you thinking something else. Some of you thinking pastors using bad language up in here. I was going to invest it, but I knew, I knew you were a, a shrewd manager. I knew, I knew you expected a lot, and, and I was afraid I was going to lose it. 
I was going to make change in my life, but I was going to start that new, but I was going to, to really put forth the effort in my butt. Say, you got to remove those things. It's just like you saying, I can't go out in the streets because there's a lion out there and I might be killed. It will keep you in inactivity. It will keep you paralyzed and the excuses will control your life. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God wants to do something great in your life. Trusting. Now we're talking about the winning Mindset. We're talking about how to succeed. You got to have the right attitude. You got to. You got to be one not given to excuses. Excuses will keep you where you're at. The third thing is this: you got to put God first. Put God first. I love this proverb sixteen. Proverbs sixteen, verse three: Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. You got to do the first before the second happens. See, we want to call God over and say, hey, God, hey, hey, bless what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, he says, hey, commit it to me and your plans will succeed. Write this word role, R-O-L-L. He said, well, that's kind of a strange word. But in the Hebrew, to commit your actions to the Lord literally means this. To roll on Yahweh your works, your deeds. To trust everything to him. And the idea is that we completely give something over to God in dependence on him. When we commit our works to the Lord, we offer everything we do completely to God. And the Hebrew syntax also reveals the idea that we commit our work to the Lord in order that our plans will be established. When we do the first part, we can expect God to fulfill the second part. He will establish his plan in our life. This means that we are seeking the will of God. We're not asking God just to come over and bless what I'm doing. We're saying, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Where are you moving? And you're lining yourself up with that. You commit everything to him, and he will establish your work. So the right attitude, put away excuses, and commit everything you do to the Lord. Live a life that is pleasing to him. I want to give you an example of a king a king of Israel that I believe demonstrates committing your way to the Lord. It doesn't mean everything that's going to happen is going to be easy. There's going to be some tough moments. There's going to be some times where the enemy attacks. But if you commit it to the Lord, God is going to fight your battles. Write the name Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Go back to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. We're going to look at verse seven, or chapter 17. Because it gives us a summary statement concerning his, his reign. Verse 3 says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his, of his father's early years and did not worship the image of Baal. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. Look at verse 6. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He removed the pagan shrines and Asherah poles from Judah. 
Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of the land of Judah. When Solomon died, the kingdom was split, the ten tribes of Israel and the two and a half tribes of Judah. Israel this time had a king named Ahab. You remember him, wicked Ahab, Jezebel being his wife. Well, a contemporary Ahab was Jehoshaphat. And the summary of Jehoshaphat's life is he committed his ways to the Lord. The old English says this in verse 6, his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. See, when your heart takes delight in the ways of the Lord, God is going to work and move in your life. Now, fast forward to chapter 20. And later on, I want you to read this whole chapter in its entirety. Because it's a powerful example of how when the enemy comes, you commit your way to the Lord, you trust him, you call upon God, and the presence of the Lord makes all the difference. The presence of God will show up. Chapter 20 opens up by the enemy invading the land of Judah. It's the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. A messenger came to, to, uh, to King Jehoshaphat and told him that this vast army of the Edenites, they, had, they have come to invade and they're on our doorstep. Verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Now notice the actions of Jehoshaphat. He calls upon the name of the Lord and he summons the people of Judah to fast, to pray. And how many know that when you begin to seek the Lord, the Lord begins to show up? That's what next weekend is all about. It's about you and I seeking the Lord. It's about believing God to show up in your life. It's about revival. It's about experiencing the presence and power. Because when God shows up in his presence and power, things begin to happen. And the Lord shows up. In verse 12, the prayer is this. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Now, remember, to commit means to roll your burdens onto the Lord. Jehoshaphat is doing that. He's rolling his burdens onto the Lord. We don't know what to do. But, Lord, we're calling upon you, and we're looking to you for help. Read verse 12. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We're powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Now, notice verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. Get this picture. There's King Jehoshaphat. There's the leaders of all the families of the tribes. They're there. They're holding their little ones. And their wives are standing with them. And their children. The whole family is there. How many know... Things begin to happen 
when you lead your family in the ways of God. Oh, what a powerful picture. That's why that song moves me with such emotional, uh, it, it moves my heart. Speak the name Jesus. Call upon the name Jesus. Jesus for your family. Jesus for your community. Jesus for your house. And it's here that Jehoshaphat is leading the house of Judah to call upon the Lord. And all the heads of their family, they're there holding their little ones. Their wives are right beside them. Their children are standing there. And they're calling on the name of the Lord. The presence of God makes the difference. And then verse 14 says, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of them. They began to prophesy. How many know that when you commit your way to the Lord... You roll all your burdens over onto him. Peter said it this way, cast your care. Really means to roll your burdens. Roll it over onto the Lord because he cares for you. God will show up. God will do something. Remember the idea is that we completely give something over to God in dependence on him. We commit our work to the Lord. We offer everything we do completely to him. Jehoshaphat is doing this. And leading the people of Judah to do the same. Then the word of the Lord comes. What we learn from this story is when the spirit of God shows up, when the presence of the Lord comes and we receive a word from the Lord, then we can move forward with confidence because the Lord is going out to fight our battles. And some of you just need to get along with God. You need to get to a place where you can hear, thus saith the Lord. But how many know when the Spirit of God begins to speak and you have, thus saith the Lord, you can arise and you can go and you know that you know that you know God's going to do something because you heard the voice of God. The presence of God changes everything. Verse 15, listen all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen to King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, tomorrow, march out against them. Notice they still had to get it in battle array. They still had to get the army together, but God says it's my battle, not yours. They still had to not make the excuse, there's a lion outside. If I go, I might be killed. No, they had to saddle up. They had to go and face the enemy. But God was going to give them a strategy to fight a different way. Mm. Verse 17, when you will, not, you will not even need to fight, take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Go out against them tomorrow. Some of you need to wake up in the morning <laughs> realizing the lion of the tribe of Judah is fighting your battles. Realize that God is on your side. You need to get up and go to work, and you need to stare that enemy in the face and say, God is for me, not against me. I'm going to do my work. I'm going to show up. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do because God is fighting your battles. Can you say Amen. And then verse 18 and 19, Jehoshaphat bowed before the Lord. And the Levites stood to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud shout. Notice there was a response to the word of God. The king bowed and the Levites began to shout. 
Oh, there's something powerful when the presence of God comes. You can hear it rumbling, and then suddenly it gets louder and louder and louder. And they began to sing. They began to worship. They began to declare. What a sight this must have been. Bowing in worship, bowing in adoration, then standing and spontaneous praise breaks out. Let me tell you what worship does. It builds confidence. Worship lifts God's people higher. Worship transports us into higher places, into the presence of God. Solomon said this, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. There's a different scenario. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness. And then uh, Josaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people, stand uh, and believe the Lord your God. You'll be able to stand firm, believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. A shift has happened. A shift took place in Jehoshaphat's mind. Why? Because he got in the presence of the Lord. He rolled his burdens over to the Lord, and the Lord showed up. And they faced the enemy with a different strategy. They appoint singers to go out before the army. <laughs> it makes no sense. In military terms, you put, you put the band in the back, and you let them play the boogle back there. But here, Jehoshaphat said, the singers are going before the Holy Spirit told me to tell you this. The reason the singers went before the army is so the army could concentrate on their God and not on their problem. Get your eyes off your problem. Get your eyes back on the bigness of your God, the greatness of your God. Let me tell you what worship does. Let me tell you why we sing praises to the Lord. Because it helps you get your, your eyes off your problems, off the circumstances, and you begin to get your eyes on how big your God is. He's the creator of the is and the earth. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the great I am. He's bigger than your problem. He's bigger than your delay. He's bigger than the circumstance. He's bigger than the enemy. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. <laughs> they began to sing. They began to worship. They began to say this. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. That is the song they're singing as the army's coming behind them. Give thanks. It's amazing how your attitude changes when you begin to give God thanks. The enemy was still there. The enemy was still invading their land. <laughs> but God was about to do something. Because they were turning their heart toward thanksgiving. Your faithful love endures forever. You were faithful. You gave, caused the shepherd to be courageous. To slay a giant. You were faithful when Moses stretched forth over that staff over the Red Sea and it parted. You were faithful to cause rivers to break forth in the desert land. Your faithful love endures forever. It's amazing what happens when you begin to rehearse what God has already done. How God has moved in your family. How God has rescued you. How God has performed miracles in your life. It's important, Dad, Mom, tell your children of the miracles God has performed in your family. Because they're going to need it one day. And they're going to need to rehearse those things. Because it will build faith for the journey that they're in. God showed up, 
the enemy got confused. They turned on themselves. And even before the Israelites got to the battlefield, the enemy destroyed themselves. When they showed up, let me tell you what they had to do. They had to fill their bags with all of the blessings, all of the loot. Let me tell you, it was so great. The blessings were so great that they took what the enemy had stolen. Some of you are about to take back what the enemy has stolen from you. <laughs> You're about to take joy. You're about to take peace of mind. You're about to take the riches of what the enemy has stolen from you. You're going to take it back. You're about to take your children back. You're about to take your health back. You're about to declare what the enemy has stolen. He can steal no longer because my God has already fought my battle. I'm victorious. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise because the presence of the God is about to bring a shift. I wish somebody could hear me today. God's going to bless you. God's going to help you. God's fighting your battle. Go ahead and praise him. Go ahead and claim it. Go ahead and declare it in the mighty name of Jesus. God fought their battle. <laughs> and I love this part of the story. You got to read it later. It took them three days to pick up all the loot. It took them three days to take all the gold, the silver, the precious jewels, to take all the weapons that the enemy had left. It was so great, they named the place the Valley of Blessing. Tell your inner conflict, that inner voice that's given to negativity. He's called this place the Valley of Weeping. Tell him God's going to turn into a Valley of Blessing. Valley of Blessing. Valley of abundance. <laughs> abundance is coming to your life. Abundance is coming to your family. It's going to take you days to take back what the enemy's taken. <laughs> He's going to steal from you no longer. God is working, fighting your battles. But it began with Jehoshaphat committing everything to the Lord, rolling his burden to the Lord. And a sign of that is they were going to enter the battle in worship and praise. Have you ever noticed on Sunday mornings, you can have a great week, you haven't argued at all, and when you get out of bed, you can be grouchy. There's a fight with the kids, a fight with the wife, and you're like, because the enemy knows if you come to the house of God with the right attitude, if you come to the house of God with the right mindset, you're going to commit everything to the Lord. And if you roll your cares over onto the Lord, the enemy doesn't have a chance. Uh, so he's going to do everything he can to discourage you, to get you to call up an excuse to say, I can't go to church today because if I show up, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset. Can I tell you, go ahead and show up anyway because when you show up, you get out of the house, God's going to do something. There may be a line in the street, but he won't destroy you. God's going to fight your battle. God's got this. Go ahead and praise him. Go ahead and worship him. Go ahead and declare the goodness of God. Speak the name Jesus. Speak the name Jesus.
Jesus. Declare it. Jesus. Jesus for my Come on, church. Jesus for my Jesus for my family. Get the right attitude. Put away the excuses. Commit it to the Lord. Shout Jesus for Of the goodness of God, the faithfulness of Jesus, the blessings of the 